0: Hello and welcome to this podcast series which explores the recently published book, A New Dynamic 2. The book looks at effective systems in a circular economy. It contains 11 articles which span a variety of fields, including architecture, agriculture, design, business and engineering, providing insights that point towards a new regenerative framework for economic prosperity. I'm Colin Webster and I work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who published the book. How does a country go through a renewable energy transition? Well, no country's done this before, so there's no blueprint to follow. But Germany is said to be leading the world in this front. So today, let's hear from Patrick Gretchen, the executive director of Agora Energiewende, who's helping to lead that charge. Patrick, first question. Give us the lowdown. What's happening in Germany?
1: The German energy transition is uh, a showcase of an industrial nation moving towards renewables and that's what it makes so interesting and important. Uh, Germany has now reached about a third of its electricity coming from renewables and the interesting part of it is mostly its wind and solar. So the new renewables, not the old ones of hydro, wind and solar will shape our energy system And that will change a lot, both in terms of technology and in terms of economics. And that is what this chapter is about.
0: Now, some of the figures you quote for solar and wind are really impressive, a potential of approximately 1,500 gigawatts. But can you put that into perspective for me? How how many gigawatts does Germany currently consume?
1: Well, currently, we consume some uh, 600 terawatt hours of power, so uh, that's uh, currently mostly being fueled by the fossil fuels Uh, 45% coal and another uh, 10% of of gas and others and uh, we want to shift that completely into a renewable-based situation which will mean that about two-thirds will come from wind and one-third from solar so that's some 400 terawatt hours uh, wind and 200 terawatt hours from solar which we envisage in the year 2050
0: so in the chapter you, you mostly write of biomass and hydro as potential sources of energy uh, and you mentioned tidal and passing could could you just tell us why you think technologies like those won't be part of the renewables future for germany
1: well the point with wind and solar is that's for two reasons uh, the key They're cheap now and there's a broad potential for them. Uh, With other technologies like biomass, we find uh, there's not that much of a potential and biogas is a lot more expensive. And uh, for hydro and tidal, we know that there's not that much of a potential. With tidal, we don't even know what the costs will be. So uh, it's very clear from today's uh, standpoint that wind and solar are going to be the main pillars We shouldn't stop research, though. Maybe others may become cheaper. But uh, to be honest, I doubt that tidal will play a major role in Germany.
0: Now, you write in the chapter that the transition is all about wind power and solar PV. You recognize that from a systems perspective, this lack of diversity can cause problems, especially in times of low wind or little sunshine. So how, in a 100% renewables future, might you overcome these problems?
1: Well, actually, we know that uh, wind and solar mean that the whole system will need to become a lot more flexible. So the key paradigm of the new energy system is flexibility. In times of lots of wind and solar, we also want to have more demand. And when there is less wind and solar, uh, demand should be shifted away from those hours. So we need flexible demand load management. Of course, we can also use uh, grids to transport electricity from those areas when there is wind to others where there is no wind uh, and back and forth. So that's one flexibility option. And uh, using electricity for heat is also a a flexibility option, especially when there is lots of wind in the winter um, that could uh, basically also decarbonize the heating system. And last but not least, of course, storage is a flexibility option. And we will store power in batteries and in other types of storages. But um, I think we'll only really need a lot of storage beyond 70% renewables. Before that, the other flexibility options will probably be the ones that we choose because they're cheaper.
0: Okay, tell me more about this idea of adjusting demand for when it's windy and when it's sunny.
1: Well, you know, if you have, for example, uh, a factory, um, then there's one option to just have all the whole system be running uh, 24-7. The other option is to have a little storage facilities within. For example, if you're producing a steam, you could have a steam uh, boiler there that stores that steam. And then you can basically uh, have the production continue, but at the same time use electricity more flexible. And uh, with that thinking in mind, you find that there's lots of different options, especially in industry, to um, still have a continuous outflow of products but to use the electricity a bit more flexible. And does it change how the individual home uses energy as well? Basically, that's the the second thing. uh, In the private households, obviously, there are also lots of uh, electric uh, devices, um, dishwashers, washing machines, uh, cooling, refrigerator. And um, you could, of course, imagine the smart energy world where you know that electricity is cheap when there's lots of sun and uh, that being directly uh, told to your dishwasher and then it starts um, at noon when there's lots of sun and therefore electricity is cheap in the system. So I believe uh, the smart energy world will actually also transform uh, our homes um, and make them a lot uh, more flexible.
0: So this sounds like a lot of connected devices all speaking to each other and connecting with one another in the most optimal way possible.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's where wind and solar as revolutionary technologies on the energy market coincide with uh, information technology that revolutionize our communications uh, uh, base and connecting these two uh, technology revolutions will uh, definitely happen in uh, in the next few years.
0: Tell me about costs. Um, you give a hint in the chapter that um, some people in Germany are disgruntled about the cost of this transition. Can you give us an idea of, of what this transition means uh, for the pockets of ordinary German citizens?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, because you have to differentiate. Uh, legacy costs are high because... We paid a lot for getting solar PV down the cost curve. When we started with the whole solar story in Germany in 2000, 2005, um, solar was still expensive, and uh, we now have that cost backpack carrying around with us of those early years. Today, and that's the good story, uh, wind and solar are cheap technologies, so they produce costs of around seven cents per kilowatt hours um, and that's what also a new coal or a new gas fire power plant would cost. So when looking into the future we are very certain that uh, there is no additional cost. What we have to deal with is basically that legacy cost of the past that, still, uh, will, that we will still be carrying around for, for quite a while.
0: And to be clear, by legacy costs, you mean the sunk costs of infrastructure and the cleanup costs associated with fossil fuels?
1: Well, actually, there are two types of legacy costs. One, um, we have to clean up our nuclear uh, history. And since we're now moving out of nuclear, we've suddenly realized how much it costs to demantle those nuclear power plants safely and uh, to find uh, a safe storage for all that nuclear waste. So that's one part of the uh, legacy of the old system that we still have to come to grips with. And then the second thing is um, in those early years of solar PV, we granted new solar investors a 20 years guaranteed feed-in tariff. So whoever started, for example, in the year 2008, has a guarantee that lasts until 2028. And that's basically the legacy cost of the early renewable years. Um, Once those things are out of the system, so in the years 28, uh, 30, um, the the whole thing uh, will be a real cheap energy world. Now the good news for everyone else is you don't have to buy down the cost curve anymore. You can directly start with the cheap solar and cheap wind energy.
0: Of course, it isn't just about the technology itself, as you write in the chapter. It's also about how the market is structured. And I have to admit, I got a little bit lost um, later on in the chapter, and you started talking about energy-only markets. Could you explain to me, in layman's terms, the problems you might face integrating majority renewables into an energy market that's maybe fit for yesterday?
1: Well... Interestingly enough, um, economists now turn to the issue we call uh, energy market design. So, yes, we want competition on the energy market, but uh, how do we design that market uh, so that it really yields the best results? And basically, there are two things you have to answer. One, how are renewables financed in such a market? And we know that just from the market itself, where energy is traded, and that's what you call the energy-only market, so that's where the kilowatt-hours are sold and bought at a wholesale um, power exchange, um, that will not get wind and solar into the system. They need a long-term contract they need uh, uh, stable investment conditions. So that's what uh, somehow the state needs to guarantee that there is a long-term uh, contract, because otherwise um, wind and solar face uh, a high capital risk. They uh, basically are technologies where everything is paid upfront and very little is then as costs that occur during the lifetime of the power plant, which is totally opposite to gas and coal, where they have uh, quite high fuel costs. So that's one issue, how to design the market well for renewables. And then the second issue is, how is your market design for the remaining fossil fuels in that transitional phase? Because of course, we have now a third renewables, but there are still 70% non-renewables. And there, uh, one does have to think about who is guaranteeing uh, security of supply. What is the mechanism that gives you, uh, even in those hours where there is no wind and no sun, always a stable grid? So that's basically then the second issue. Is just trading electricity enough or do you need to also reward power plants? for their capacity. So these are the two issues that every policymaker in uh, the world has to answer when designing a liberalized market with increasing shares of uh, renewables.
0: So Germany has the lead in terms of reforming its market. Um, But what might be the risks and rewards of being the front runner?
1: Well, of course, there's always the risk of being the front runner that you make mistakes. Um, and uh, I think with uh, the early years of solar PV, we found out that we bought solar PV too expensive and are now carrying around that cost backpack. Others are now claiming that was probably the best uh, ODA, official development aid that we ever did to the rest of the world, so don't uh, underestimate the value of those uh, billions that we paid. But the chances are, of course, also great. I mean, uh, there are lots of new technologies to be found and there are lots of uh, knowledge to be gained. And uh, I believe we are now at uh, some 20% wind and solar in our system. Others will reach that moment within the next five years and then uh, German technology providers can sell their knowledge to others in the world.
0: Sure. So it's another way of exporting innovation, I guess.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, And that's the chance of any frontrunner.
0: Patrick, given the success that you've had and the success that you're predicting, are you surprised that some people still criticize renewables?
1: I'm not surprised because that is... Uh, what many engineers around the world are still thinking because that is what they learned when they were at university. Um, If you ask our engineers here that now do basically the grid uh, system operations, they tell you, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, are we able to manage a system with uh, 50% renewables, which is what the Eastern European, Eastern German grid has. They have now 50% renewables in Eastern Germany. Ten years ago, I would have said, no way, we're not going to make that. And now they're doing it because they learned that there are lots of flexibility options and because new technology has evolved. So my message would be, um, yes, engineers all around the world... Uh, There has been technology development in the past 10 years, which you may not know and uh, do find out.
0: So, Patrick, one final question. What can the world learn from Germany's renewable energy transition?
1: I think the key takeaway is wind and solar are now cheap technologies and they're vastly available all around the world. Look at the world wind map, look at the world solar map, There is so much more sun everywhere in the world compared to Germany. And there are lots of places with lots of wind, um, more so than in Germany. So if we can do it with our weather conditions, you can do it as well and probably cheaper than we. So go ahead and grab that future.
0: Well, that's a really inspiring thought to take away. So um, thank you very much for your time, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Colin.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Germany's energy transition or read about the other themes explored in the book, A New Dynamic 2, you can order your copy from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. In addition, you can join me speaking to more contributors to the book by looking out for the other podcasts in this series. Until next time, goodbye.